If you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now I'll give you a couple minutes to get there, and uh, I'm going to tell you a joke. All right, let me get there first so I can beat you. All right, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you have our app, you can follow along on our sermon notes, one of the greatest tools that we have on our app. Who likes our app? Good. It's such a good tool. We have every sermon, every single sermon on our app, every Bible study on our app. Um, All of our deep-rooted TV broadcasts are on the app as well. Um, And uh, a lot of of great stuff on there, and, and we've been putting it together, our team and I. Thanks, honey. Uh, we've been putting it together just for you so that you guys can get the word in your heart every single day. Um, there's content on there for you to get the word for hours and hours and hours worth. So if you were to just listen to some of our messages every single day, one after the other, it would take you weeks. All right. So we have a lot of stuff on there just for your edification, for your benefit. I told you I was going to tell you a joke. All right, ready? There's this woman sitting on a plane. I can't even tell the joke without smiling. Goodness. Hold on, let me, let me reset. <clears throat> so there's this woman sitting on a plane. She pulls out her Bible, starts reading her Bible. And all of a sudden, this man that was sitting next to her, he looked at her and said, you actually believe in that? She says, oh, of course I do. And he says, well, what are you, what are you reading? She's like, Jonah in the well. He goes, you believe that Jonah got swallowed by a whale and he survived to tell the tale? She goes, absolutely I do. And she goes, he says, well, what if that didn't happen? He's like, well, I'll ask him when I get to heaven if it happened. And he goes, well, what if he's not in heaven? And she looks at him and says, well, you'll have to ask him. (laughs) Some of y'all get that later. Just put it in your back pocket. And then later this afternoon, you'll be like, what was that? Sorry, Lord. Let me go back to the word. (laughs) I preach better than I make jokes. All right. Okay, so today I want to talk to you guys about transformation. Transformation. You might think of that word and think of the Michael Bay movies, Transformers. But I want to talk to you about this concept of transformation. Today we're specifically titling this Mind renovation, oh wait, yeah, mind renovation, life transformation. Mind renovation, life transformation. Now, who is with us for Big Vision Sunday? It was such a great two weekends. Who wrote their vision lists? Amen. Good, good, good. Well, we all, we brought them back to the church, and we prayed over them, and we blessed them, and we're believing with you guys every week, every day, that your vision list will come to pass in Jesus' name, as we are with ours. Amen. I still have mine right in my Bible. We look at it. It's in our bathroom so we can see it every single day. Don't forget it. Remember the statistics I showed you? That 80% of people don't have a vision. Another percent, I forgot what it was, have a vision, but never ever wrote it down. Another percent of people have vision, wrote it down, but never looked at it again. But only 1% of Americans have a vision, wrote it down, and looked at it continually and they've met those goals. They're millionaires because they've stuck with their goal. So don't forget. Don't, don't write it down and then put it away and never see it again. Put it somewhere where you can see it daily. Pray over it daily. I was just in here earlier this week praying over the vision of the ministry, praying over the vision for our life. As much as you can, pray over that vision. And once you start seeing things uh, complete off that vision list, check them off. Tell us about it. We'd love to share with other people so that they can be encouraged that God wants the best for their lives. Amen? Romans chapter 12. Are you there yet? Alrighty. This is probably one of my favorite scriptures. This is one of the scriptures that really opened my eyes to the Lord. And uh, thank you for that Bible app. Maybe we'll have him read it. But Romans chapter 12 was one of the scriptures that opened my eyes to something that I've never seen before that changed my life. And I've been a Christian for a long, long time. So Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is the good, what is the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Transform your mind. Transform your life by the renewal of your mind. There's a couple of things here that stick out to me. The first thing is, it's a living sacrifice. It's something you don't want to do. A sacrifice is usually made with a price attached to it. It wouldn't be a sacrifice if it didn't cost you anything. If something that I didn't really like or I didn't really want or I didn't need in my life, if I just gave it to you, that wasn't a sacrifice. It cost me nothing, burdened me nothing. A sacrifice is always something that costs you something, always. And so he says it's a living sacrifice. And what's the sacrifice? What is it? Well, it's living, so that means you have to do it every day or else it's going to crawl off the altar and and walk out the door without you knowing. You got to put it back on the altar every day, living sacrifice. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to the Lord. It's your reasonable service, a.k.a. it's the least you can do. The very least. You You became born again. The least you could ever do for God is to be a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable act of service. Then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to the world, but transformed. Don't be conformed, be transformed. You know, when you conform something, it's as if this water right here is conformed to the shape of this bottle. Whatever the shape is, the water will conform to it. It'll, it, it's, it's if you're, you're packing something into to a little container. It's conforming to all the crevices. It's becoming just like the mold, conforming. He says, don't conform. You know, a while ago, I used to love Bruce Lee. Anybody like Bruce Lee in here? I used to love Bruce Lee. And one of the quotes that he said that I loved was, you got to become like water. And you got to be fluid everywhere, going with the flow. But as I learned about the Bible more, and as I learned about the Lord, and I learned about, about right thinking and right doctrine, water is probably the last thing that you need to be like. Because there's no stability to it. Whatever the container is, water forms to it. Whatever the, you put water into, that's what it becomes. And let me tell you this, there's a lot of Christians living their life right now like water, And whatever Satan throws their way, they conform to it. They shape themselves just like it. They look just like the world because there's nothing holding them together. And although most of you guys are probably expecting me to say something good about Bruce Lee, you got that instead, so I'm sorry. But that's what water does. It conforms. It it shapes into whatever the container is. But the word transform. The word transform means letting whatever is inside of you show on the outside. Because that word transform is the Greek word, uh, it's, it's the Greek word that translates into metamorphosis, where we get metamorphosis, how a caterpillar goes into a cocoon for some time and after a while it, 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 it escapes and becomes a beautiful butterfly. That's the word transform, metamorphosis. And that butterfly was inside of that caterpillar. It just needed time and incubation, a little period to where it can grow, where it can develop and transform into a butterfly, into who it's created to be. Now, if you want to get technical with the word conform, it literally means putting something on the outside that doesn't reflect what's on the inside. Putting something on the outside that does not reflect what's on the inside. Let me give you an example of this. In Matthew chapter 23, we'll have it on the screens for you. Matthew 23, Jesus is with all these people and he tells them, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These people were highly exalted in their time. People who were very well respected. 
people sought them for advice, for teaching, for doctrine. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That'd be like me going to some church you like, going to the pastor and saying, woe to you, you hypocrite. You see the, the intensity of Jesus. He wasn't messing around here. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautifully outward, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also appear outwardly righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You think Jesus preached love? That's his version of love, telling you the truth. But he says, you are, you are beautiful on the outside, you're righteous on the outside, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know what that, that is today? That's going to church, sitting in a chair, hearing the word of God, and, and checking off that checklist for the week and thinking that you're righteous now because you did a good deed. That's not it at all. Coming to church does not make you a Christian. Coming to church does not get you into heaven. It's what happens when you come to church that does. Come into church with an open heart to have your life transformed from the inside out. That's what gets you into heaven. Not just coming to church. It's hearing the words of Jesus, believing him in your heart, confessing him with your mouth, and demonstrating on the outward what you've received on the inside. We get stuck in behavior modification. That's what a lot of people like to focus on. You've got to stop drinking. You can't have tattoos. You can't cut your hair a certain length. You have to wear specific clothes. That's all on the outward, all outward. You're not dealing with the inside. And a lot of places that you go to where you seek help from, you're, you're dealing with some mental health issues, you're, you're depressed or whatever, you go seek help from people. And you know what they try to do? They try to get you to do outward things to fix the inside. They try to get you to get, join a hobby do something you enjoy, and then that'll make you happy. But that's not it at all. That's not life transformation. That's just behavior modification. Life transformation is fixing the stuff on the inside, and then the outside becomes beautiful. Jesus says in a parallel scripture to that, he says, first clean what's on the inside of the vase, and then on the outside, it will be beautiful. People keep trying to clean the outside first, but the inside is gross has cobwebs, has spiders, has dirt, trash, but the outside looks okay. But once you clean the inside first of everything, the outside becomes clean. I was, I was doing car detailing for a while, and I really like it. I, I kind of still like doing it. I do it to my own car sometimes, not as much as Stephanie would like, but <laughs> it's fun. It's a great hobby of mine. But the funny thing is, Every single car detailer that I would watch on YouTube to learn from and to get experience from, they all had the same method, all of them. They first clean the inside, and then they clean the outside. So that's what I, I followed suit in. I, I cleaned all the carpets. I washed down all the dashboards. I did all those things, and then I went to the outside. Now, the reason behind it is because when you wash the carpets and the seats, they need to dry. So you do that first, then you do the outside. But it got me thinking about this, of clean first the inside, then the outside will be clean. It would be a shame to wash your car, make it nice and pretty on the outside, you get it waxed, you get it polished, and all those great things. But then somebody steps foot into that car and there's McDonald's wrappers in there, there's gum on the carpet, there's a stinky sock in the back. Doesn't look like a pretty car anymore, right? Because you just focus on the outside. You didn't clean the inside. But let me tell you this. Let me, let me just tell you. Somebody whose car is filthy on the outside, if the inside is vacuumed, if the air scent smells good, the freshener smells good, if all of that in the inside is clean, you wouldn't even think twice about what's happening on the outside. Would you? If you were sitting in that car and it was perfectly clean, you could see the fibers of the carpet, you can see the, the nice richness of the dashboard. If all that was perfectly clean, it smelled like new car smell. Would you be thinking, man, the window or the, the panel on the outside has a dirt stain on it. Don't want to sit in this car anymore. Mm -mm. 
the inside's what matters the most. The same can apply with the house. You know, we have curb appeal. What's curb appeal? It's whatever looks good on the outside. The first thing you see on the outside. What if that curb appeal is beautiful? The trees landscape, the grass is nice and cut, the bark is laid out nicely, the lights are beautiful, the door is pretty, but then you walk into it and it's a pigsty. It, it, there's nothing but dirt everywhere and, and boxes everywhere and, and food laying out. You'd walk out. It's gross. You know, that's why they say never judge a book by its cover because the inside is where the value's at. The inside is where, is where it's, it's worth the read. Now, sorry to all the book designers out there who try so hard for you to be intrigued by the cover of the book. But the book, the inside of the book is what matters. And it's funny because recently I just got my, I got a new Bible. And, uh, I, I used to buy just the Bibles that you'd get like at, at the bookstores, the ones that are like $15 with the little ch- the cheap leather that they would put on it. They, they call it genuine leather, but I'm a leather crafter. I know what genuine leather actually is. But I used to have those Bibles, and on the inside, I'd mark them up all over, all over. And then I finally got a new Bible, which is this one, which is great leather, great quality. But you know, this book... It's worthless if I don't open it. The cover is beautiful. I love leather, so I appreciate this. I'm wearing leather boots. Like, I like leather. So I really appreciate this. But you know what? If I never open it and I never see what's inside, the value part, this book does me nothing. It's just another accessory. It's what's on the inside that matters. And that's what Jesus was talking about here with the Pharisees. He says that the outside's clean, but your inside is, is dirty, full of dead man's bones. Distortion, excess, other translations say. First clean the inside, and then the outward would become clean. How does this apply to us? This applies because Romans, he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't make the outside clean, but be transformed inside out transformation by renewing your mind that you may prove what's the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Your life needs to be a display of God's perfect will. You need to know the will of God and show people the will of God. There are so many people who have questions about who God is, what he wants for your life, what he says about you. They have so many questions and you're the answer. You need to be the answer. You need to know what God's perfect will is for your life and in the Bible, his perfect will for mankind. You need to know that because people are asking. People are wondering, what's the purpose of life? If I serve your God, what's the purpose? Is it a bunch of checklists of do's and don'ts? Is it a bunch of rules and regulations that I have to follow or else I go to hell? I don't want that. And frankly, neither do I. I don't want that either. It is not a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, but it's an example of life that is better and best. A life going from this is good, this was better, but this is the best. That's what God's life relationship with us is all about. From going from bad to good to better to best. Bad, good, better, to best. Amen? You know, one time I heard a pastor, he's a pastor friend of mine, so I won't say his name, but he was uh, preaching, and he welcomed his church. He says, good morning, saints. Everyone said, good morning. Then he goes, good morning, sinners. And everybody said, good morning. I was like, man, you got to get your church saved. The, the funny thing about that was they're all saved, but they still identify as sinners. Mind renewal. Stop thinking you're a sinner. Stop thinking you're this no good, dirty, rotten sinner who needs saving. If you said yes to Jesus, you're saved. If you said yes to Jesus, he's placed his righteousness inside of you. 
You cannot be saved and a sinner. It's contradicting. You only can be one or the other. So let me give you some advice. Choose saved. Amen? So this process of renewing your mind, what does it look like? You guys are all familiar with remodels. I mean, America TV, American TV has glorified remodeling. We have all these, these shows on HGTV about remodels and, and flipping houses and all those great stuff, which I love to watch, right? But there's this, there's this fascination of remodeling. What happens when you remodel? You take something from its past glory and you renovate it to its former or to its new glory. You renovate it to make it something better than it used to be, right? That's the purpose of a remodel, right? You don't, you don't remodel something to degrade it. You, you remodel it to upgrade it, right? So this renewing the mind is very similar to remodeling, to remodeling a house. Let me just tell you, give you a word of encouragement this morning. We are all under construction, all of us. I don't care if you've been born again for 50 years, for three years, or for one day. We are all under construction. And let me give you some biblical proof of that. The Bible says that we have three parts, spirit, soul, and body. We are perfectly sanctified, completed, perfected in our spirit. That is sanctified. That is perfect. Never going to get better. Perfect. As Jesus Christ is, so is our spirit in the, on the inside of us. But let me tell you what's not perfect. Your soul and your body. Your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. Who's gotten angry this week for no reason? You might think it's a reason, but it's really no reason. That's because it's not perfect. Now, who sinned in their body this week? I'm, don't get, I don't want to know. But who sinned? You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have done. Right? We've all sinned because we're not perfect in our body. Those two are under construction. Your spirit's already done. Your spirit is perfect, but your soul and your body need some work. And how does that happen? Through renewing your mind. There's an illustration I like to use regarding your, your soul and your, and your body and your spirit. Your spirit is perfect. That's where God and his presence and his power operates. In your spirit, direct connection from his spirit to our spirit. It's direct. You have everything you need. You need healing. You got it in your spirit. You need provision. You've got it in your spirit. You need wisdom. You've got it in your spirit. It's there. You never lack anything. That's why I said earlier, know how to abound because you have abundance in your spirit. So it's in there. How do I get it out? How do I get it from my spirit into the physical manifestation realm? How do I do that? This is how. The illustration is this. The spirit is the flow of God. Your soul is the valve of a faucet. And your body is the bucket. You want to get the spirit into the bucket? Open the valve. It's pretty simple, right? Open that valve. Let the flow go through the valve into the bucket. Your, your, the valve being your soul, your mind, and your body being the bucket. You want some of the spiritual realm stuff to come into your physical life? Your mind needs to be opened to the supernatural. Amen? That's renewing your mind. Then you will see all these things come to pass. Then you will prove, make evident God's will for your life. Transformation always takes place on the inside to the outside. I mean, it doesn't really do you any good if you, if you renovate the exterior of a building, but the inside still needs carpet. You've got to do the inside first and focus on the outside. That's just the smartest thing to do. Ren uh, transformation always takes place from the inside out. But here's the catch. Here's why people don't want to change their thinking. Here's why people don't want to remodel. Many of you probably have thought of remodeling your house, but you, you don't do it. Here's why. Remodels are expensive. You want to fix that kitchen counter? Well, there's that and then 10 other things you got to fix too. Remodeling's expensive. 
Transformation is costly. It's going to cost you something. You want to change your life? It's going to cost you something. What might, it, what, what, what might it cost you, huh? It might cost that stinking thinking to get out of your mind. It might cost your lifestyle. You might be comfortable with how you live, but you know there's more. It'll cost comfortability. You know, you should never call something comfortable when God has something better for you that's comfortable. What you call comfortable, if you're not in the will of God, it should be uncomfortable because you're not in God's will. But it's going to cost you something. And mostly, it's going to change the way you think. That's what's going to be the, the biggest cost for you. You think all the time. All the time. Renewing that is work. Hard work. Tiresome work. You might be thinking, man, these things have been happening. These good things have been happening in my life for quite some time. Something bad's got to happen now. You got to change that thinking. You go into the store and you see something expensive and you say, oh man, I can't afford that. Way too expensive for me. Got to change that. It's not mine right now, but it will be. God will provide that. You got to change your thinking. Oh, it's allergy season. I have to have my allergy pills. Oh, it's flu season. Make sure I go get vaccinated. Oh, whatever. Change your thinking. That the blood of Jesus is covering you, protecting you. You're abiding under the shadow. No plague can come near your dwelling. Nothing. Change your thinking. It's work. I'm still doing it. Your pastor is still doing it. And can I encourage you? I will never stop doing it until the day I go to heaven. I don't care how educated you are, non-educated you are. I don't care. You're going to have to renew your mind for the rest of your life. It's costly. That's why it's a sacrifice. That's the first reason. is because it's expensive. You see, renewing without a sacrifice is not valuable. Remodeling without, without spending is not valuable. You flip a home because you gut out all of the old worthless stuff and put in the new expensive stuff. And then you put the house on the market for double its worth because of those new things. You see, renewing your mind without a sacrifice, without you spending something, without you, it costing you something, it's not valuable. You know, one of the things that I see all the time is church fasting. And they give you so many options on how to fast. They give you the, the food fast, you fast from food, or fast from social media. But then I go to scriptures and I see, well, back then they didn't fast from the daily paper or whatever they had that gave them news. They didn't fast from wearing sandals. They only fasted food. And what we've done is we've watered things down. And so we've said, hey, if you don't want to fast food, that's all right. You can still get the same power from fasting just by fasting social media once a day. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but that's not how that works. And if we ever do a church fast, we're going to go all in and fast from food. No social media stuff. If you want to do that, that's up to you. But we're going to fast the way the Bible fasts. And the reason why I say that is because all the other ways are not costly. So if they're not costly, there's no value in them. Yeah, you might get better mental health for a couple of weeks, but the minute you get social media again, you're right back at square one. You have to fast it again. So you can just not have social media and have a good mind or have social media and know that it doesn't matter what's on there. You still have the joy of the Lord inside of you. But if, if it's not costly, it doesn't value. It's not valuable. Sacrifice needs to be at a cost. You see, you might not want to sacrifice the way you think. But you don't want to go to work either. And you still go. Why? Because you're getting that paycheck on Friday. It's worth something. My time, sacrificing my time, I know I'm going to be getting something in return. Right? It's valuable. What you sacrifice, you have to consider it valuable. What's valuable to you might not be valuable to me. What you think is important in your life might not be important in my life. You've got to determine what's valuable. And whatever it is, 
that's what's got to be sacrificed. You know, every time a sacrifice was made in the scriptures, God always rewarded. Always. He always rewarded because he loves you. And because it's not his will for you to be in lack. The sacrifice doesn't mean you're going to be in lack. I just want to make that clear. You're not sacrificing and saying, let me just suffer for a while, God. No, I'm not telling you to do that. You sacrifice what's valuable. It's not really important, but it's valuable to you. And God will reward you with something greater. Amen? That's what we do with our money. We lay down our offerings every single Sunday. We sacrifice our hard-earned paycheck. We sacrifice it, at least a portion of it. God always rewards. He gives back to us because he loves us. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts. Not the, not the item we're sacrificing, our hearts. But specifically, I'm talking about your mind. Sacrificing the way you think. So what do you consider valuable? Philippians chapter 3. The scriptures say, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. You know, you can put this on the screen and leave it there, but I want to read it to you from the New King James or the New Living Translation. I love the way this one gets translated because he puts it into a lot more practical terms. Let's see, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 in the New Living Translation says this. If I can just get there. He says, am I in the right scripture? Yeah, I am. Verse 4. Though I have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Then he says this in verse five, you can follow along in the New King James. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure blooded citizen of Israel. I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And he says this in verse seven. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. In verse nine, he says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. At one point, Paul thought, that his own works and his own righteousness and his own efforts was valuable. So he sacrificed him. He says, I no longer count those things valuable. I instead count what God did for me valuable. I instead count my righteousness as garbage. But instead, I look at what Jesus did for me, making me righteous, valuable. You see, he put away his own efforts he changed his thinking. He considered something valuable and sacrificed it. And that's what we got to do. What's your thinking like? How do you think? Is it in your own efforts that make you a good person? Sacrifice that. Lay it on the table. Say, Lord, it's no longer I that lives, but you, Christ, living on the inside of me. Changing the way you think changing the way you think. You know what? You got to value what God says about you than what people say. 
That's one of the first places to start. Start valuing what God says about you rather than what your boss says about you, your coworker says about you. If you have bad parents, your parents, what they said about you, there's people who have grown up with just bad words being preached at them their whole life from their parents, and they literally feel like they have nothing to accomplish in life because of that. We've got to let those words be false and God's words be true. What does God say about you? You're more than a conqueror to those who are in Christ Jesus, that you are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not beneath. Come on, let's get excited about this. God says that you're a victor, not a victim. God calls you righteous, not a sinner anymore. God loves you. God doesn't want the worst for you. God wants the best for you. If you believe that this morning, let's say amen. Thank you, Lord. We got to get those words in our hearts. Get what his word says about us in our heart. If you go on our website, type in deeprootedmi.net slash I can. Deeprootedmi.net slash I can. There's some scriptures there concerning your healing and concerning what happened in your spirit, what God says about you that you need to get inside of your heart. It's a free resource. You can look at it at any single time of the day. We'll be adding it to the app as well. So you can have those. Look at them every day. Deeprootedmi.net slash I can. And I'm sure we'll have that posted somewhere on social media for you to click this week as well. The second thing about remodels is that they always come with demo day. Demo day. I love demo day. But when it comes to me, not so much. You know, there's a show, another remodeling show. It's fairly new. I think it came out last year. It's called No Demo Reno. But when you watch the show, there's some demo that takes place because you're always swapping out something old for something new. You might not be knocking down a wall or bursting down a fireplace, but you're changing something out for something new. That's demo. Taking something out that don't belong there and putting something there that needs to be there. It's demo. So there's always a demo day when it comes to remodeling. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter nine. He says, nobody puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins. That way both are preserved. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. You know how they used to make wine back then? It's not how they do it today. They would get the skin of an animal. Uh, It'd be a goat. They would get the skin of a goat, and they would pour wine in this sack of goat skin. And they would tie it off so it wouldn't spill, and they would let it ferment, and it would hang. And as it hung, the wine skin of the goat would start to expand. It would expand and expand as it got heavier, and the more time it sat, it would expand. So when it was done fermenting and the wine was ready to be drink, drank, drunk, drank, I don't know. When it was ready to be consumed, thank you. Should go back to college. When it was ready to be consumed, the wine skin had stretched to its full capacity. And guess what happens to it? It becomes brittle. It becomes very delicate. So if you were to put new wine into that old wineskin, because it was so fragile, it would start to expand again. And by the time you'd see it, it would break. There's, there's nothing left that it could do. It would break and it would ruin that skin and then it would ruin the wine. Both would be rendered useless. Now in context of this scripture, Jesus is talking about law and grace. The law was the old wineskin. And the grace that he came to bring was the new wine. 
And you cannot put grace and fit it into the law because the law was so stretched to its fullest capacity that any sort of movement would have broken it. So what did Jesus do? He brought a new wine with a new wineskin called grace. And too many people are trying to mix grace and law. We've been talking about it on our Bible study for the past three Bible studies. If you haven't watched them, tune in. But we've been talking about this. And what they do is, is <laughs> there's a story that I shared this past Friday of this pastor who said, man, he says, I've been preaching grace at my church and they've been loving it. And come to find out they're going to the bars and clubs and getting drunk and doing all this because of grace. He goes, so I had to come back to church the next weekend and hammer the law. Doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that way. True grace, if you understand grace, you won't be bar hopping anymore. You won't be going to clubs and getting wasted all the time because you understand that because God loves you so much and Jesus died for you, you don't have to do those things. That's grace. Not I can go do whatever I want because God loves me. That's not grace. That's, that's manipulation. And that's not true love for the Lord. But that's what he was talking about in context. The law and grace but it also can be applied to your thinking. You were once an old creation. If you're a new creation, you're an old creation, all right? You were once a creation that was ruled by the world, ruled by the devil himself. He controlled you. He had every given right to him because of Adam and Eve. You were his. And with that nature came your mentality. The mentality you are changing today, that was established in your old nature. Your sin nature. But guess what? When Jesus came, the Bible says that you are a new creation. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Someone say demo day. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're a new creation. With a new creation comes a new nature. You had a sin nature. But with your new nature, you have a righteous nature. But too many people still think they have a sin nature. Oh, that's just my old sin nature acting up again. No, that's an unrenewed mind acting up again. Not sin. And this old way of thinking, the way the world thinks, what I mentioned earlier, the flu season's coming up. Make sure you're covered there. Allergy season's here. Make sure you're covered there. Oh, the economy crashed. Make sure you store enough for yourself. It's an old world mentality. But you've been translated from that old world into God's kingdom, and with that comes a new way of thinking. You can't fit in that old wineskin anymore. You can't believe for abundance if you're still sitting in that old wineskin. Because guess what? If the abundance goes into the old wineskin, it's going to burst, and both will be ruined. So get out of that old wineskin jump into the new, and receive all that God has for you. Amen? The other reason why people don't embrace remodeling or change is because of this. It takes longer than expected. Takes longer than expected. How many of you have been in a project, whatever it is, a project that you thought this was the deadline, but then a couple months go by and you're still on phase one of that project. People avoid change because it takes longer than they expected. I'm preaching this message to you today. Tomorrow morning, you're going to be waking up wishing, man, I wish I was just already changed. I wish I was fully changed. Me too. Me too. It takes progress. One step at a time. You know, one of my favorite, he's a real boxer in my opinion. His name is Rocky Balboa. In fact, I'm actually wearing uh, him on my socks right now. Probably shouldn't have showed you guys that. I love Rocky Balboa. He's awesome. But one of the things that he says in his movie, he tells his son, he's talking to him, and his son's going through some struggling struggles in his life, and he, he feels like he's a shadow of his dad. He can't do anything for himself because anything he does, his dad's attached to it. And so he's feeling like the, this tug of war in life, doesn't know what to do. And so Rocky tells him, he goes, son, life, you just got to do it one punch at a time, one round at a time, one day at a time. That's life, just one at a time. 
one step at a time. And I find that so, so true with faith and this change and renewing our mind and being all that God has us to be. It's one day at a time, one step at a time, one revelation at a time. That's the best way to do it because everything all at once, it's overloading. You don't know what to do with it. One step at a time, day after day. That's why it's called a walk of faith. Walk of faith. I walk by faith, not of sight. It's a walk. One step after another. One step after the next. Not a sprint. You know, life is not a 40-yard dash. It's a marathon. And if you sprint out the gates of a marathon, by the time the, the last turn comes, you're exhausted. You're too tired to finish. You've got to pace yourself. Recognize how long do I have left? How long is this process? And recognize it's one step after another. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, Paul, or not Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, because no one knows. It says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle of sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, but both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became uh, companions of those who were so treated. For you have compassion on me in my chains, and I joyfully accept the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yours in heaven. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. I believe the King James says, you have need of patience. Patience. Something I've learned in my short life is to never rush the process. Never rush it. Because when you rush things, mistakes are made. When you rush things, you forget a step. And quite often, they're a vital step. Don't rush things. There's a difference between rushed and quick. What the Lord is doing here is quick. We're not rushing anything. We're not forcing anything to happen. But we're letting it happen, and it's getting done quickly. But you cannot rush the process of renewing your mind. Another thing that people tend to use to avoid a remodel or avoid correction or avoid a renewing their mind or changing their life is that they need to be open to correction. During this whole change, you got to be willing to be corrected and receive correction. There's a difference between being corrected and receiving correction. You can correct someone all you want, but if they don't receive it, there's going to be strife there. There's going to be hardship right there. There's going to be some tension there. If you don't receive correction, you're going to be resentful. You're going to be bitter. You got to be corrected and receive correction. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, the one that everybody avoids, says this. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My sons, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. Oof, it's a big word. Every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals as you uh, as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. An illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who've corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed few, uh, for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. Let me encourage you. God does not chasten you with hardship, with sickness, with disease, with poverty, with trials. No. God chastens through his word. His word. I don't have time to go through that right now. If I would, we'd be here till one o'clock, all right? I'm trying to get, get done. But God chastens us, and we got to receive that correction, that, that instruction. The, in, in 2 Timothy, it says that the word of God is perfect for doctrine, reproof, correction. That word correction is the same Greek word as instruction in this scripture. The same word, chastening. It means instruction, not punishment. It says it yields a peaceable fruit, does it not? It yields a peaceable fruit. Uh, does, does, does God putting cancer on somebody peaceable? No. Does God putting sickness on someone peaceable? Does God making you poor peaceable? No. That'd be like a father chopping off a child's arm because that's how he saw fit to discipline a child. No, that'd be child abuse and you'd go to jail. So that's not how God chastens, all right? He doesn't chase with hardship. He chastens with his word. But we have to be willing to be corrected in this time of renewing our mind. Because let, let me tell you something. When you renew the mind, when you study the word of God, the Bible says, study yourself approved. Approved. But it says, when, when you do that, you might fall into temptation of pride. So you got to be willing to be corrected and not be a know-it-all. Oh, I've been studying the word for 30 years. I know what this Bible says. I know this. You know, I heard a minister who's very, very well known brag about how many times he read the Bible in a year. He goes, I know the Bible more than anybody else. I've read it three times already this year, and I've done it this, blah, 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 blah. So who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Okay, I, I know what you mean. You're in the word a lot. But be careful. Be corrected. Nobody's too old. Nobody's too wise. Nobody is too experienced to receive correction. Amen? Amen. We all need to be ready for correction. You know, something that the church has failed um, in, in the body of Christ is the phrase, come as you are. Come as you are. You ever hear that before? Which is great. I love it. I love, I love the heart. I love the meaning. I believe God is that type of God. Come as you are. He's not waiting for you to be built up already and remodeled and perfect for you to be accepted. He says, come as you are. But that's where churches stop. When God continues to say, come as you are, leave as he is. Come as you are, leave as he is. Don't stay the same. Don't come to church and stay the same. You got to change. There's a change that needs to take place on the inside. And when that takes place, the outside will begin to change. Lastly, remodels need vision for the future. You'll never do a remodel without some sort of blueprint of what you want it to look like. Blueprints are the key to the future. It helps you, it gives you boundaries to stay within to complete the project, right? You need vision for the future with a remodel or else nothing will get done. In Genesis chapter 13, I love, love this scripture. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Lift your eyes. Look from the place you are. Too many people are stuck looking down at where they are at. They're looking down at their current circumstance it can't get better than this. I guess there's nothing else in planned in store for me. I guess this is just my best. I guess high school were my prime years. They're too busy looking down 
at where they are, where they are. But God says, look up, lift up your eyes and look from the place you are to where I'm calling you to go. Amen. You need vision. You can't look at yourself and say, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. You can't look at yourself and say, I'm never going to change. This is happening in my life. I'm never going to break free from this. Lift up your eyes. Look from the place you are. That's my goal. That's who I want to be. Look from the place you are. I wasn't who I was last year. I'm a better person than I was last year. And next year, I'll be even better in Jesus' name. Look out. Look as far as you can see. But you got to lift up your eyes. You got to stop having pity for yourself. You got to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Thinking that you just had the worst luck or that nothing can get better for you. Stop looking down at your current circumstance and start looking at God where, where God wants you to be. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, the scripture says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us or ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our goal. He is our prize. He is the finish to our race. He is the perfecter of our faith, the completer of our life. Stop looking down at where you're at and start looking up to where Jesus is. And where is he? He is seated in heavenly places on the throne of God and he's called you to be raised up with him, seated in heavenly places. Amen? Why don't you stand this morning? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. to have a good vision we gotta renew our mind we've gotta change the way we think and let it come out on the outside of us let it transform our life from the inside out amen no more defeated mindsets no more lack mindsets but we're believing God for big things big things nothing is impossible for those who believe amen Why don't you lift your hands this morning? Father God, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship we've had with you, this time of fellowship we've had with each other, for the word that was spoken. Lord, I pray a beautiful, beautiful harvest of the seed that was sown today. Lord, we're tired of looking down at our feet, and we're excited, Lord, to keep looking up and to keep looking from we are at, Lord, to see all the promises, all the provision, all the blessings that you have for our life. Lord, we are excited for this future. We are excited for 2022. We believe nothing can stop what you have planned. Nothing can hinder what you have for us, Father, except our minds, Lord. So we are changing the way we think. We are taking our minds from the old and bringing it into the new. In Jesus' name. If you believe that this morning, somebody say amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. As we conclude today's service, I want to go back into worship. Just end today with a song of praise, giving him glory. Tell him how great he is, how great he's been to you, how great he's going to continue to be in our lives. God never changes. 
And if he was good to you at one point in your life, he will continue to be good to you for the rest of your life. Amen. Before we're dismissed, let me bless you. I bless you guys in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I pray you live a prosperous, abundant life. Whatever you set your hands to do will prosper in Jesus' name. Until we see you guys again, continue living in the victory. And remember, you are always welcome here in our family of faith.